All right, so we're looking at this, this passage this morning, and there are two stories here, as we've seen. There's the story of the woman and her demon-possessed daughter, and then there's the story of the, of the deaf man. Now, these two stories have caused no small amount of perplexity among not only Bible readers, but also among Bible teachers. Um, you know, the, these, these stories are a little bit perplexing. It's, it, Jesus is doing things here. Um, well, I, I've titled the message today, The Unconventional Ways of Jesus, because he's doing things here that are just like, well, why is he doing it like that? And so we want to consider that. We want to look at um, why he was doing things the way he did. And the, uh, as is often the case, we, we have to look a little more closely at things because um, there, there's more going on than we might realize at, at the first glance. And so... We're going to look down, uh, or we're going to look look closer uh, into these stories today. But but in order for us to to get a little bit of a clearer picture of what's happening, I want to read to us the parallel passage. So you know the Gospels uh, have many parallel passages, right? And so Matthew records the same events that we just read. But he gives us a little more detail about the first person. Uh, not so much the second. He actually, Mark gives us more detail about the second person. Uh, Matthew just sort of alludes to it. Um, but he gives us more detail about the first person that's going to help us to understand why Jesus did what he did uh, in his dealings with this woman. So I'm, I'm just going to read it to us from Matthew chapter 15. And picking up in verse 21, it says, And Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, notice that's that's Mark doesn't tell us that. Uh, then she came and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, help me." But he answered and said, "It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs." And she said, "Yes, Lord." Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, "O woman, great is your faith. Let it be." To you as you desire. Mark did not tell us that either. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at the feet of Jesus, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the, name, the maimed uh, made whole the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So with Matthew's account, we get a little bit more of an understanding of why Jesus did what he did, especially in regard to the woman. 
And, and the, the two key things are the things that Matthew adds and Mark omits. Now, why did Matthew add them and Mark not add them? Well, remember, um, each of the gospel writers had a specific purpose and they had a specific audience. So Mark's uh, purpose was to give a brief and a, and a um, you know, a fairly fast-paced uh, message of, of who Jesus was, writing to a broad audience, which would include many Gentiles. Matthew was much more focused on a Jewish audience. And, and the things that he's, uh, Matthew records uh, relate to what's actually happening here in this contrast between the way this Gentile woman uh, responds to Jesus and the way the, is, the people of Israel were responding to him. That, that's what's going on here. So what, because, you know, the question is, well, why did Jesus, like, he just seems kind of rude to this woman. You know, why would he treat her like this? That's what people have asked. And it's a valid question because it does seem out of character with Jesus to, um, to, to speak to her like this or to, in one, I guess you could say even not speak to her. He kind of ignored her, it seemed, at one point. But here's what's happening. Jesus is bringing out this, Gentile's woman, this Gentile woman's faith, which is in contrast to the unbelief of the people of Israel. You see, remember, Jesus says, uh, when they were asking him, like, you know, why don't, why don't you address this same thing with this woman? Uh, back up just one second. Remember where Jesus is. He's left the land of Israel. He's not in Israel now. He's in what we would know today as Lebanon. He's on the, the coast uh, Tyre and Sidon area is the coastal region of southern Lebanon. So that's where Jesus is. He's in Gentile territory. And this Gentile woman comes to him. And so they're saying, do something about this woman. And he says this, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The, the primary ministry of Jesus was to the nation of Israel. And of course, after his death and resurrection, the uh, descending of the Holy Spirit, the gospel would ultimately go to the Gentile nations. But the ministry of Jesus was a ministry specifically to Israel. And, but notice, here's the contrast. This woman and both writers emphasize that she was not a Jew. She was a uh, a Syrian Phoenician. So she was, she was a Gentile woman. But it's interesting that she comes to Jesus and she uses um, the, the, the terminology she uses. And, and again, Matthew records it. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So here's a Gentile woman acknowledging son of David is a messianic title. So here's a Gentile woman acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah in contrast to the nation itself that is rejecting him as the Messiah. And this is, of course, in keeping with what Jesus even would say at a certain point to the leaders of Israel. He said that many would come from the east and the west 
outside of the boundaries of Israel. Many would come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of the nation. Many would come from all around the world, sit down with these patriarchs in the kingdom of God, but the children of the kingdom will be cast out. Jesus, this woman is illustrating that point. And so Jesus is seeming to sort of ignore or, or rebuff the request of this woman in order that her faith might be seen. See what Jesus is doing. Like I said, he's showing the contrast between her and the nation, the nation that's cold toward him, the nation that's indifferent toward him, the nation that's not really sure if he could really be the one. And this woman is like, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and the, the more Jesus kind of ignores her, the more her faith builds in her. And, and so when um, Jesus says to her something that would really be offensive, it's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now, man, today... <laughs> People today would be so offended. How dare you? Are you insinuating that I'm a dog? I'm, you know, that, that would be the end of it. But this woman was not deterred by it. This woman was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. But let's get back to the point. I need you to heal my daughter. Even the, the crumbs that fall from the master's table, that, that's, what the, that's what the little dogs will eat. And Jesus says, oh, woman, great is your faith. So Jesus commends her for uh, this great faith. You know, the NIV reads um, in a very interesting way because it has the woman, and, and I think this is actually the right uh, way to understand it. When Jesus says it's not right to take the bread and give it to the dogs, the woman actually says, oh no, Lord, you're, you're wrong. Uh, no, the dogs, they will eat the crumbs from the table. And Jesus is almost like, you got me on that one. You're right. That's good. I mean, not that she really got him. Of course, he's God. But, but he's using all of this stuff to bring out her faith. So that's what's happening in the case here. Now, the second situation is also peculiar. And this, it, it's this story of the healing of this man who is deaf and mute. And... Notice, again, let, let me just read it to you so you can have it fresh in your mind. Notice what happened here. So they, they bring this man to Jesus, and he's deaf. He has an impediment in his speech. And they, and they begged him, put your hands on him. That, that was their request. And look what Jesus did. He took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and spit and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. That is weird. It's weird. Don't you think so? I think so. Everybody thinks so. Why, why did, what did Jesus put his fingers in the guy's ears? And then he spit on his tongue? That's really weird. 
Why, why did he do that? Well, I don't know why he did that. Nobody knows why he did that. But suffice it to say, this is very unconventional. This is not the way. They said, Jesus, just lay your hands on this guy and everything's gonna be great. That would have been the conventional way to do it. That would, that's the way it was most often done. Jesus either just touched somebody or he spoke to them. But in this case, he does something that's, that's quite frankly, it's strange. So, like I said, I mean, we really don't know why he did it this way exactly, but here's something to think about. We, what we really see here, if we look at it, is that Jesus is showing extreme sensitivity to the deaf man, and he's relating to him on his level. Now, he's showing extreme sensitivity. Why do I say that? Because notice, they bring this man to Jesus in a crowd but Jesus pulls him aside out of the crowd. Jesus takes him aside privately. Now, now think about this man. So he's deaf, he can't speak. You know, people with those kinds of um, limitations, those people are a spectacle quite often. And, and we know that today. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? If, if you're somewhere and you, you, know, you encounter somebody who has some limitation like that, whatever it might be, they, it's just because it's so um, out of the ordinary, people can't help but um, staring sometimes, you know, especially little kids, you know how that goes uh, so often. You know, a child will see somebody who maybe has, you know, maybe even some kind of physical deformity. And a child, of course, just says, hey, what's, what's wrong with that person? Uh, and, you know, that's obviously quite insensitive, right? But it's a kid. They don't really know any better. It could have been the case, since this was the man's condition, it could have been the case that his whole life that that was the kind of thing that happened. Everywhere he went, people are like, what, what's the matter with that guy? How come you're not talking? Why do you talk like that? What's the matter with that guy? Can't he hear what I said? Those would have been common kinds of things. But Jesus takes him aside. He's been a spectacle, but Jesus is not going to make a spectacle of him. So, so he pulls him aside out of the crowd. It's a very sensitive thing that Jesus does here. And then he does this strange thing where he puts his fingers in his ears and he spits on his tongue. Now, some have suggested that what Jesus was doing here was he was really getting on the level with the man. And in a sense, he was doing like, like sign language. Like he's telling him, he's putting his finger in his ears, telling him, I'm going to fix these ears right now. And in spitting on his tongue, he's basically saying the same thing. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to now heal you. And although we can't say for sure that that's what he was doing, it seems like that might very well have been the case. And, and, the, and the things with both the woman and also with this man that we need to see, uh, with the man here, what we need to understand is that, you know, Jesus is sensitive to our sensitivities. He's sensitive to our vulnerabilities. Jesus doesn't want to make a spectacle of you. Now, sometimes that can't, be said of believers. Uh, it can't be said of believers that we are always sensitive. Uh, sometimes we're, we're very insensitive. And 
that's something that we need to work on. We need to pray about. We need to, uh, you know, ask for wisdom because sometimes we can think we're representing the Lord, but we're not because no, the Lord wouldn't really deal with things like that. And yet we can be guilty of that. I think of the disciples, and we'll, we'll come to this in a few weeks. But, you know, there's that situation where these parents are bringing their kids to Jesus because they want Jesus to bless them. And the parents thought, well, this surely Jesus wouldn't mind this. But the disciples, when they get there with the kids, the disciples are like, get these kids out of here. These kids are bothering the Lord. You're bothering the Lord. This is an important moment. Get, get, get the kids away. What does Jesus say? They're not bothering me. Jesus says, leave them alone. Actually, let them come to me. And then he says, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And unless you become like one of these kids, you're not even going to get into the kingdom of heaven. So he really rebukes them for this misrepresentation. And that, that's a lesson for us. We need to make sure, you know, you, you see this sometimes. Um, people think that they're they're doing God a favor. They think they're representing the Lord. You know, somebody says something maybe, you know, in social media that they don't totally agree with, so they jump right in and they got to stand up for the Lord. Hey, and, you know, you're wrong about that and God doesn't like that and, you know, that sort of thing. And that's just not the way we should be. Uh, we need to be sensitive and Jesus showed us that here. But, but also, going back to the woman for a moment, um, we see that Jesus sometimes lets our faith be tested a little bit so our faith can be even more uh, magnified and, and more impactful for people. So, I mean, this woman is, be, is being tested she could have lost heart and just said, okay, Jesus is ignoring me. He's not obviously going to answer my petition. Uh, he even said something rude to me about, you know, not throwing the bread to the dogs. Forget it. But no, she hung in there. And as she hung in there, her faith emerged and was very impressive so much so that Jesus said, oh, woman, great is your faith. And, and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted us today and people then to see uh, that even in times of testing that we need to persevere in faith because there will come that moment when our faith is vindicated. So now looking at these stories as I've already hinted at, you know, the question is what, so what is, in both of these stories that are a bit different, what is, what is the, the main point? And I do think that uh, J.C. Ryle, in his commentary on this event, I think he really did nail it. Now, just a little background. J.C. Ryle was uh, the Anglican Bishop of Liverpool back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And um, just a godly, brilliant guy. Wrote a, uh, 
a volume on the Gospels that I refer to quite often. Uh, one of those guys who just seemed to have this ability to just look at a text and say, hey, there are three things right here in this text that we need to see. And usually it's like, yes, we did need to see those. How did I not see those? <laughs> How could you see those so clearly? But th- listen to what he said about this. And, and what I want to talk about here is Jesus working in unconventional ways. He said, there is one simple lesson to be learned from our Lord's conduct on this occasion. That lesson is that Christ was not tied to the use of any one means in doing his work among men. Sometimes he saw fit to work in one way, sometimes in another. We see the same thing going on still in the church of Christ. We see continual proof that the Lord is not tied to the use of any one means exclusively in conveying grace to the soul. I think he, he just hit it. That's exactly what is happening here. Jesus is showing us that he has all different kinds of ways of doing things. And the lesson for us is to be careful not to limit him to only working in ways that we um, are familiar with maybe or or ways that we approve. And another way to uh, express that is we need to be careful not to put God in a box. Now, most of you have probably heard that terminology, right? You know, putting God in a box. What does that mean? That means that we are putting limitations on how God can do things. And we've got uh, an idea of how God does do things. And maybe it's because that's how he did them in our life. Maybe that's how he did it in our church. Maybe that's how he did it in our tribe, our family of churches. And therefore, this is the way God does it. Well, yes, this is the way God did it for me. But it doesn't mean that this is the only way that God does it. And putting God in a box is to say he can't do it any other way than the way I'm familiar with and comfortable with. (laughs) This is a huge problem in the church today. Because many people who would never even think that they're doing it are actually doing this very thing. They're, They're putting God in a box. And anytime we criticize what God is doing somewhere else. And, you know, as long as there are those, those clear lines, you know, we don't go outside of the biblical understanding of things. But believe me, there's plenty of criticism and, and condemnation over people who are not going outside the biblical lines, but just doing things differently. But, but the, the moment we do that, then we are actually putting God in a box. And we have to be so careful. I, w- I read something. There's this guy that I, I like his books. And um, he's a, an Aussie guy from Sydney. And he's, um, he's kind of like an apologist. And anyway, he, had, he, he was helpful in the writing of a song by Hillsong. Um, it's the creed song. We sing it. Um, I believe in God, the father, I believe in Christ, the son, I believe in the Holy spirit and so forth. And, um, I, I didn't know that he was involved in the writing of that song with the, the Hillsong team. 
And, and, but anyway, I was, I was reading about that today. And I thought, oh, that's, that's great. Uh, John Paul Dick, Dixon is his name. And uh, I thought, oh, that's cool that he was involved in that. But as I was looking at the comment part on the post, the first comment was some critical statement about Hillsong. You know, the, the person didn't like Hillsong. And so the very first comment was basically like, well, surely this song cannot really be meaningful or significant or we shouldn't be singing it because, you know, Hillsong wrote it and I don't approve of Hillsong and uh, because God could never use Hillsong to write a good song that we should sing because uh, in the box I've got God in, uh, he just doesn't do that kind of stuff. Now, of course, the guy didn't think he had God in a box, but he certainly did. And I love the way... uh, John Dixon responded much more nicely than I would have. Uh, he just said, well, what's the matter with, um, I mean, we're singing a song of, based on the oldest creed in the history of the church that, that basically just spells out beautifully the truth of scripture. Well, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. Something's wrong with the person who criticizes it. But again, that kind of criticism comes from limiting God, thinking that God can only do things a certain way. So I do think that J.C. Ryle is right here. I think what Jesus is doing is he's just kind of through these things, he's just really saying, you know, be careful not to, not to try to box me in uh, because I'm going to do things that are not the way you think they should be done, but it's okay. I'm God and, uh, you know, I know what I'm doing. And, and we need to realize that. You know, yesterday, uh, my friend and I, Julian, we were together and uh, he's here this morning, so I don't want to embarrass him right now, but uh, so I won't look his direction or anything. <laughs> Some of you know Julian because he was with us for a uh, season some time ago from South Africa. He came and he was... Uh, you know, here with our ministry team. And he would teach for me uh, for occasion, uh, on occasion. And, and, but about four and a half years ago, uh, they felt called to go back home, back to Cape Town area. And we sent them back and they planted a church, a beautiful church, Redemption Church. And um, God's doing a really sweet thing there. But now, so they've got a season. They're back here with us right now. But anyway, Julian and I were, uh, we went out to the a young adult conference yesterday. He, he went out there with me and we were talking on our way home. And I want to kind of tell you a little bit of, of this story that will help you understand a little bit more clearly maybe what, what it is that I'm talking about when we don't want to put God in a box and how God often uses, you know, people or, or circumstances that, that to us, we just sort of scratch our head and say, wait, you know, okay, that, that's who you're using or that's what you're doing. So, so anyway, we're talking about this mutual friend of ours, Kirk Cottrell. Uh, Kirk's in heaven. He uh, died in a surfing accident back in 2001. It was a, really a freak thing. But in 1996, uh, Kirk and his family and Cheryl and our family, uh, we were both headed to the mission field. He was going to South Africa and I was going to England. And we did that. But before we, you know, before we made that, that trek, 
each of us respectively to these places. We were connected. He was an East Coast surfer. I was a West Coast surfer. He owned a bunch of surf shops in the East Coast. And so they came out and we all surfed together and we prayed together. And okay, you go get them in South Africa. I'm going to England and let's see what happens. So anyway, he went and he was there about, I don't know, four, maybe five years. And then, like I said, just this freak surfing accident, he died. But he had an amazing impact. And this is what Julian and I were talking about, uh, the impact that this guy had. Now, I have to describe Julian a little bit uh, and to show you the contrast and how God does some things uh, in an unorthodox fashion sometimes. So Julian is very um, proper. He's very precise. He's very articulate. He's educated. He's uh, theologically has really clear understanding of doctrinal ideas and things like that. Um, And Kirk is the farthest from that that you can ever get. So he's like the polar opposite in the other direction. And I don't even think Kirk knew what a systematic theology was. He didn't care. You know, he was surfing, loving Jesus, telling people they needed the Lord. Uh, for him, that was good enough. And so, but Julian's telling me that, um, you, know, that, that you know, he comes out of this theological background where, you know, he's been educated in a certain theological position. And, um, and then he meets Kirk through these circumstances. And, and Kirk, this kind of wild, crazy surfer guy, just starts speaking these little things that, that start to really impact the way Julian sees things. And God uses Kirk, this, again, very unorthodox person in a sense. Uh, God uses him to redirect Julian in his whole life and ministry. And the reason why we were marveling and having this conversation is because uh, we both said, man, what would Kirk think if he could see what happened today? He just took a step of faith and went to South Africa. He didn't know anybody in South Africa. But as we, as we were talking about it, we were talking about, so, so he's here with us teaching at our Bible college campus right now. And he's been with us over these years, pastored churches in uh, South Africa, went back, just did the church plant. But then one of the guys, Jason, who came uh, out of Julian's church, he's now pastoring a church that I planted along with my friend, Phil Pachonis in North Devon, England, in a, in a little place called Willacoom. And then the even more crazy thing is another South African friend, Uh, who was there with Julian and Monica in the very earliest days with Kirk, he is now pastoring the one and only Calvary Chapel in Belgium. And our whole point in our conversation and what we were just getting a kick out of is to think how God used Kirk, this out-of-the-box kind of guy, to impact these lives. And even though he's been in heaven for quite some time now, the legacy of of what he did is carrying on today. But my whole point is that it was completely unconventional. If Kirk would have gone to an established mission society and said, hey, I got a vision. I want to go to South Africa. I want a church plant. I want to be a missionary. You know, I guarantee 99% of the missions agencies would have turned him down. 
they would have just said, well, okay, now what qualifies you to do this? Well, I surf. <laughs> if the missions agency knew anything, that might be okay because there's a lot of surfing in South Africa. Uh, okay, but what else? Well, I'm a surf shop owner. Um, I don't know. I, I, Africa sounds like a cool place. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, he would have had no qualification to go do this from the standpoint of a mission organization. But guess what? Jesus does things unconventionally. And he uses people. Now, I have to confess, I myself have, I'm like Julian in some ways. I have very clear lines on what I like and dislike and want and don't want and who I think God should use and shouldn't use. I have all of that stuff. But you know what? God is constantly messing things up for me. <laughs> and he just constantly reminds me, like, you know, Brian, look, I, I really am in charge, you know. Yeah, I know you wouldn't do it that way, but that's okay because I'm God and I thought that this was really the best way to do it. And I have to concede and say, okay, Lord, I, yeah, I wouldn't have done it that way. I guarantee you're right about that. But evidently, you know what you're doing. And that's, that's what we cannot forget. Jesus works unconventionally. Now, of course, I shared this already this morning, right? So this lady comes up to me, and I know her. And so she's telling me this story about her brother, who she says the last time she had a conversation with her brother, he told her, if you don't ever talk to me about Jesus again, I don't ever want to hear a word about Jesus again. I, I hate God. I don't, don't even, I, you know, and he was actually kind of almost violent. And she just said, okay, I'll never talk to you again. And she said, and then he divorced his wife and all of this stuff. And she's describing how, you know, he's such a bad guy. And, and then she said, but then here's the crazy thing. He meets this Christian woman. And he marries her. Now, you know, he divorces his wife and then he meets this woman and he marries her and she's a Christian. And, and she goes, and guess what? All he wants to talk about now is Jesus and how good Jesus is and what God's done in his life and how wonderful it is. And, and you know, and she's telling me like, but how does that work? So, well, that's kind of unconventional, right? I don't know how that works. But God does things that... To us, just we can sometimes scratch our heads and say, wow, I did not see that coming. But let's not forget that. And I'll come back and close with that in a moment. But um, there's two other things that I want to just take us back to. Uh, two takeaways from these stories. One from the story of the woman and her daughter and the other from, from the deaf man. And, and I want you to because I think there's somebody here today that this is gonna really minister to. Um, now, remember this woman, her daughter is under the power of demons. Her daughter is helpless, seemingly hopeless, and this woman has one um, opportunity and she's gonna seize it. Jesus, the son of David, is here in my vicinity. So she goes to him. Um, but, but what we don't, necessarily see because, you know, we're reading the story and she's actually having an encounter with Jesus. This is really a woman who's praying and she's going straight to the source. She's going right to God in the flesh. 
Now at that time, she, I'm sure she probably doesn't even realize the full uh, extent of who it is that she's talking to. But the reality is she is praying for her daughter. That's what she's doing. She's interceding. She's pleading. And, you know, think of her as a picture of a person who prays. And isn't it true that sometimes when we pray, we feel like the Lord is ignoring us? You ever felt that way before? She felt like that because he actually was looking like he was ignoring her. He wasn't, but it seemed like that. And isn't it true sometimes that even when we pray, even there are times we feel like God is rebuffing us? God's just, no, I'm not gonna do that. But what does she do? She perseveres. She's, this woman is not gonna take no for an answer. Even when Jesus says, no, it's not right to do that, she said, oh no, Lord, you're wrong. It is right. Because even the dogs under the table, they're gonna eat the crumbs. And so what we need to take away from this is that the woman prayed for her daughter who couldn't pray And she did not rest until her prayer was answered. And as hopeless and desperate as this young girl's case appeared, she had a praying mother. And this is the truth. Where there is a praying mother or a praying father, there is always hope. So some, someone in here today, maybe more than one of you, you're praying, you're pleading, you feel like you're not getting anywhere. Nothing's happening. Heaven is silent. Nothing's changing. As a matter of fact, it seems like things are getting worse. Don't stop praying. That's what this woman shows us. Persist. Keep pressing in in prayer and trusting the Lord. Like I said earlier, sometimes God, he's wanting to strengthen our faith. And ultimately he's wanting to bring our faith out to say, look, you you know, they trusted me even when it seemed an impossible situation. So keep praying. And then secondly, with the man who's deaf and mute. Now the Lord healed this man physically but you know spiritually many people are in a a deaf and a mute state and what we need to know is that God can heal people spiritually as well just like that woman's brother you know man he was deaf to the to the gospel he had his own ears plugged didn't want to hear another word of it and again uh, to quote from J.C. Ryle, he said this. He said, he said, God can give the chief of sinners a hearing ear. He can make them delight in listening to the very gospel that they once ridiculed and despised. He can teach the hardest transgressors to call upon the Lord. He can put a new song in the mouth of those whose talk was only of the things of the world and the flesh. He can make the vilest person speak of the things of the Holy Spirit and testify concerning the gospel of the grace of God. It is true. He can do that. And you know, as I read this quote, in my mind's eye, I thought of how many people I know who sit now with an open Bible, pouring over the pages of scripture, drinking in God's word, who were at one time blasphemers, who were at one time haters of God who were at one time mockers of those who believed in Jesus. 
And my, my friend Mike told me after the service, he, and we've known each other, we got saved about the same time here back in the late 70s, and we've known each other since then. And, and Mike said, you know, um, he said, we had this thing, and he was talking about some guys that I knew, and he said, uh, and, and there, was, there was this one guy who became a Christian before us, and he, sa- he said, we used to mock him and ridicule him and make fun of him. And he said, then one night they came to one of those concerts back in those days here on a Saturday night. And there was a band that was playing that was singing a song. Uh, the, the band had written a song about, you know, that kind of an experience where they had mocked and they had ridiculed. And it was like a guy named John. And they were like, in the song, they were, you know, I'd really love to go back and tell John I'm sorry and so forth. <laughs> and Mike said, that song is playing. And he looks across the room and the very guy that they had mocked and ridiculed and despised because of his faith was right there in the crowd. And he said he went up afterward and just, you know, broke down and said, man, I'm so sorry. I'm a Christian now. And, and, you know, sorry for the way we treated you. And, but God does those kinds of things, right? And I would imagine that all of us probably, at least to some degree, can relate, um, especially those of us who were not raised in a Christian environment, not raised in the faith. There was certainly a time in my life where I thought Christians were crazy. And when I saw them coming, I made sure that I went the other way as quick as I could. I don't want to hear those Jesus freak people because I thought they were more freaks than Jesus and I just didn't want to go there. But listen, this is what God does. And, and this is part of this unconventional thing that I'm talking about. And so let's not put God in a box. Rather, let's just stand by and see what kind of extraordinary things the Lord will do. And let's not limit what God might do. There's something so wonderful and so amazing about the unconventional ways of Jesus. Like I said with Julian and I yesterday, we were, by the end of our conversation about Kirk, we were just filled with joy at what God has done. And part of the, the humor in all of it was how unconventional a person it was that God used to start this ripple effect that even though he's long since gone to heaven is still carrying on to this day. And, and I just want to see more and more and more of that. I, I pray, I want to see more people that were God mockers, haters, blasphemers coming with big old Bibles and saying, man, I want to know about Jesus. Teach me God's word. That's what God does. And that's what we should take away from this story. And, you know, maybe you've been that super conventional person that has ended up, you know, maybe despising, maybe criticizing, maybe even missing out on things that God is doing because you've got God in your little box. He's really not in there. You think he is, but he's not. He's, 
He's out. <laughs> He's free. He's doing his thing all around the world. You got an empty box, actually. Um, so just, just get rid of the box and enjoy the unconventional ways of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that this is who you are and the way you do things. And, and Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. I, I've certainly had those times where I've got you all figured out and, and you're gonna do it just exactly this way. But Lord, you always bust out of that. And we're so thankful that you do bust out of it. And thank you, Lord, for these stories that teach us a few things, but, but do teach us about your unconventional ways. So Lord, may we be open and may we be expecting and may we stand in awe and wonder as we see you do those things that only you can do. Lord, like the wind, you said, that's how the spirit is. We don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but we see the effect of it. And Lord, we don't always know how to figure out what you're doing, but we love the effect of what you're doing. We love the change we see in people's lives and in our own lives. So continue, Lord, to work among us in ways that only you can. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.